0: Welcome to the Dad Brunner Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira, and I'm super excited to have Fred Joyle with us today. He's gonna talk to us about his new book, Super Bold, and all the different things that that he's done in his career. He's gonna, I'm not gonna spoil it right now, but he's lived a big life. He's done a lot of cool stuff. I'll start off with talking about the stuff that he doesn't do so well, which is play tennis and and, and golf. He's not so good at those things, according to him.
1: Welcome to the show, Fred. Alex, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to talking to your audience.
0: Absolutely. Let's start with you know, early age. What was your first job, Fred?
1: First job was dishwasher at 14 years old. Oh, um, And it's actually, there's a, a, a story about boldness because I was a totally shy kid and, and, and adult and everything, but it was a moment when I spoke up. And, and I always got to look back on that and, and years later, mind it for the experience. But it was, I was sitting in the boys club in my neighborhood, pool hall, primarily. This guy comes in looking for uh, his, uh, somebody who's supposed to be working for him. He goes, where the heck is so-and-so? And uh, they say, oh, he's not here. He's not here. And he says, that, that little, he's he he supposed to be washing dishes for me. And I'm sitting in the corner and I said, I'll work like really softly, right? Cause I was meek and my, and he goes, who said that? And, and I, I did. He says, come with me. He throws me in his cars, convertible Cadillac. We drive to the restaurant. I work 10 hour shifts. And I mean, 10 hours, 20 minute break to eat something. I'm covered in food and water and soap and everything like that. But from that became a waiter job, then a bartending job I bartended through college, paid for college from that job. The owner's son became my best friend. He eventually became partners in one of my businesses. Now wow. I'm partners with his son no in one way. of his. In one of his. I mean, it's like the 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 tree of of abundance from two words. I'll work. Yeah. That moment, and I get to look back and say, "Yeah." When you speak up, stuff happens.
0: Wow. That's such a great story. I mean, that speaks to the whole theme about being super bold and even at an early age talking about that before we get into the business stuff, which I know our, our listeners want to hear about, you know, 1-800-DENTIST and your uh, books that you've authored. I'd love to talk about the, your advice that you have for parents out there about teaching their kids to be bold, because I think that's the perfect segue to the story you just told us.
1: Yeah. I think that if, if somebody said to me, you can only give your child one attribute. Uh, nothing else will be in your control. It would be boldness. It would be the conf- confidence in action. I want somebody to be confident, but I want them to be confident enough to act, to try stuff, knowing there's risk, knowing that failure is part of the process. And if you can help your child to understand that as they're moving into their teens and then through high school and through college by the time they get out they will be world beaters and it starts and and a lot of people they try to push their kids oh just go talk you want to meet those kids go ask them if you you can play with them and the kid can't because the dad's it's he's getting a shove from the dad the dad is not making it possible for so the kid becomes even more shy because they're overdosing the experience. So what you need to do is dial it back, dial down, and I'll talk about the how my system for how they learn how to how anybody learns how to become more bold, but it's controlling the dosage and controlling the intensity of the experience for that kid, for what she needs from you to be that way. And there's two two causes of this. One is that the parent is so bold and outgoing and everything that the kid can't figure out how they're going to get there. They don't feel like I I can never be like my dad or my mom. They're so they're the life of the party. They meet everybody. They talk to everybody. Everybody loves them. They, They don't get it. It's just like when your dad is, is, you know, a multimillionaire business success, a lot of, you know, the next generation is like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to get there. It's too far. I don't, you know, and the dad, half the time, the dad just got lucky, right place, right time, or just worked insanely hard for, and neglected everything else his health, his family, everything, whatever. But you have to control that experience and just say, you know what? I want you to walk by those kids and just wave and then come back. Mm. Baby stops. Uh, Yeah. And they can, oh, I can do that. And what happens is they wave at the kids. Some of the kids wave back and they say, wait, who, who are you? I'm Susan. Do you want to? Do you want to play? We're building the sandcastle. And now you say, after you help them and say, see what happened? But all you had to do was wave. You didn't have to do anything else. And if you all you did was wave and come back, that's gonna feel good. You know why? Because you tried. You went and tried. And maybe they wanted to play with themselves, and that's okay too. Kids get to play with themselves. If you make a few good friends in the in the first twenty years of your life you're golden. You're lucky. You want really good friends. You don't need everybody to like you. That's a too big a challenge. And everybody, and you say a lot of people impose that themselves and it's it's too much and it's not necessary. It's
0: too many people. And you prove that with, with just even the story that you told about the guy you worked for, then you were friends with his son and then eventually now you his son as well yeah. and it, and it just keeps going you're nurturing those relationships i'd like to, for you to touch on something for me fred and I, i'm not an expert in this area and perhaps you aren't either but i think it's worth talking about in this day and age when everything is social media influencer creator whatnot and a lot of these young people they start off kind of you know seeing these big dreams but they're just dreams they're not reality right? How, how do you think that impacts? Because I see some boldness online from creators, young creators too, but but it's really manufactured as it should be because it's show business, online yeah. it's show business. Yeah. Then the ones who are looking from outside in, I wonder, this is just a question, I wonder how that impacts them. Do they feel less in the real world by watching those manufactured characters online, when they go out into the real world, I wonder if that impacts them in any way. And I have four kids. So I'm always thinking about this.
1: If I'm going to give you my Fred statistic, I think for every kid that's inspired 20 are inhibited by it. Because they Mm. can't they were like, Oh, I could never do that. Oh, I wouldn't I'm not that good a dancer. I'm not that good a singer. I would be so embarrassed if that didn't come out perfectly. And they and they see somebody who's done it well, they haven't seen the 50 videos that they didn't put up that were terrible. They saw the, the one where they nailed it. And, and it's just like all of, all of performance, it's just like photography. It's like they took 200 pictures and you're seeing the one where they look perfect and, and out, of, out of 200. But you can say, oh, I could never be that. And so they, they miss the steps of getting better Which is what, which is a really important thing to learn is that we, you want to say to the kid, you know how you learn to walk? You fell down about a thousand times until you stood up wobbly. And then all of a sudden you started taking steps and you know what? The next thing you were doing three weeks later was running, but you had to fall down. Same thing when I took you skiing, what did you do? You fell, you fell, you fell. And all of a sudden you started skiing really well, didn't you? The social world is the same way. Interacting with people, which is much more important, you have to learn how to do it. And it's a step-by-step process. And a lot of people will never learn how to do it. But it's not about getting attention. It's about getting people to feel good about themselves. It's about you being interested in who they are and that's how they're going to find you interesting. You don't need we've created this whole world of how, uh, on social media which is how interesting am i? which is brutal, right? Because you in when I was in high school you couldn't do that. Maybe you 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 could be, you know, you were the quarterback. How interesting am i? I'm the quarterback. So it's like three people in the school were that interesting. But now it's all of these people they they get three TikTok videos and with a bunch of views and suddenly they're an influencer and, and other people see that and say, ah, wow, he's so cool. He's so interesting. I want to be interesting. It's like, if you can move them to say, you know, you want to be really interesting, be interested in other people. You know, it goes back to how to win friends and influence people. It's, It's that, that old a concept, but every generation has to learn it every person has to learn it individually. And you wanna just help, help kids to understand and say, social media is not social life. It's two different things, it's artificial, it's it's been refined. It's been every these people look like they're having the greatest lives. They're not taking videos of the of their bad mood and their lousy day. And their when they look funny or they don't, you know, they they're all broken out or whatever the heck it that is. Uh, they, they're not taking pictures of them coming in last place in a race, you know, or or being at a party where nobody talks to them. They're you know, they're let's take a picture together. And they're just like, let's pretend we're having fun. It's not the real world. And it's, it's, you know, it's fun to do. And hey, participate in it. But don't think about it as the real world. And don't make it a goal in life.
0: And I like how you in your in your bio, when I was reading your, your book, and I read a few chapters and watched your videos, I think you, it's very clear that you live this really bold life. And you, and you seize the day every day uh, in every opportunity. And when you talk in your bio, when you say, I'm below average tennis player and even worse golfer, to me, that shows how playful you are. And it's, it also underscores the fact that being bold and going after things that you might fail at and never get great at, just become below average like you said is okay it's the fact that you're doing it
1: right i mean yeah and golf is a perfect example i am just a terrible golfer but people love to golf with me because i don't care uh (laughs) i'll go through 20 balls easily in 18 holes i like they're gone forever they're in the water they're in the woods they you know they're they're just they've disappeared And if if I make one good putt, you know, in the course of it, I'll make a 20 foot putt. I, you know, I I lose, I don't even keep score most of the time, but I'm, I'm having fun out there. And I'm, you know, if I, if I, if I do a bad tee off and it disappears, I go, excuse me, fellas, I'm teeing off again. You know why? Because. I don't care about the actual score. I'm not trying to get in the clubhouse with my score stuck on the wall. I'm trying to play golf with some guys and they were all better than me. And I get to go, wow, that was a heck of a drive right there. I'm using your ball from there. I'm I I'm, forget mine. I'm, I'm driving from where you landed and they just laugh and, and, and because it's play, we're playing golf. We're not working golf. We're not, you know, so why not invent your own golf game? They're not paying me. So, yeah. so it's, I, I embrace the suck basically. It's yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't need to be good at this. I'm good at some other stuff that I'm really passionate about. I'm not willing to spend the time to become a good golfer, but I love golfing. When people say, you want to go golf, I go, heck yeah, let's go. Charity yeah. event, even better. Now we're really going to have some fun. <laughs>
0: No, and I and I saw that you know you're having fun even at the Tony Robbins uh, 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 event where you're on stage, you're jamming, you're dancing, and you don't care, and you're just looking like you have a great time. But I think one one thing, kind of switching back to business here, Fred, it's clear to me you illustrate some examples in your book about being bold and how really if you want to do big things in the world, whether it's you know for your community for for business, whatever it is, your studies, you have to be bold. So some of the examples you gave like Rosa Parks and and others to me was like, yes, you're absolutely right. Those people needed to be bold in order to do big things. So can you talk about that in the context of business? How if you really want to reach that level of greatness, you have to be bold. You have to learn to be bold.
1: Yeah. And you have to be bold enough to project your confidence. If, if you're raising money for your business, for example, you have to project that, that you can make this happen. You have to show them that you are the man or the woman or the team thats is, that, that is going to, you know, it may sound like a good idea, but every investor I've ever talked to they they'll say this, I bet on the jockey, not the horse. Mm right? The, the ideas are, are not even a dime a dozen. They're like a fraction of a penny a dozen. But is this person going to figure out how to make this business work? Are they going to be bold and dynamic and passionate enough to take my money and turn it into a real business? That's who they're going to bet on. And so you, you got to be able to bring that. And you got to be able to, to say, I, I need to do this stunt you know this publicity stunt. Richard Branson is the master of this these wild publicity stunts, and he's actually not a particularly extroverted person. He's not a, a wild man in that way, and not he's a very playful individual. But his team will come up with something and say, "We're going to do this, and you're going to ride a tank into Times Times Square when you open the Virgin store." Uh, and he goes, "All right, sure, I'll sit on the front of a tank or whatever." And any and he and he. Does that, or he's gonna bungee jump off the palm hotel. And he hurt himself pretty bad doing that, by the way. But it's all of these situations. Here's here's let's let's drill down into the interpersonal. Let's go Mm the whole other end. It takes boldness to give your team members, the people working for you, feedback, candid, useful feedback so that they can get better and know that there are expectations of them to get better. But you're also saying, this is what I expect from you. And this is how you're going to get there. Or this is what has to change for you to get there. And for you to be able to say, and if you don't, the next conversation is about you working somewhere else. And that's, that's you have to do that. It is actually unkind to all your other people to not be candid with the people that need to improve, that need to fix some behavior that, that, that is not working or some skill set that's lacking. Because the other team is saying, we're working hard. We got a lot of skill. And wh- why are we dragging him along?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so you got to be able to say to the team, I'm going to lift him up or boot him out. Or, you know, or, and you may have to repurpose them, But you, it takes boldness. To not just try to be the nice guy. I want everybody to love me. I'm building a business, a culture of love and niceness and kindness and appreciation. And you know what? Nobody gets better because nobody's telling them how to get better. So they think they're great, especially, you know, the younger generation. They thought they were great. Average gut U and A. Uh, you know, third place got you a, you know, 10th place got you a medal, you know? So it's like that they, they think that average is excellent. And when you, when you got to say, yeah, that, that may have worked in elementary school, but this is the real world and you gotta, you, you actually have to be excellent because everybody here is gotta be excellent because that's, we're not, we're not building average. We're not, we're not offering the, the marketplace average. And I'm not offering you average. I'm trying to be the best leader I can possibly be, which means you have to be bold enough to ask for feedback. You have to be bold enough to have a coach who says, what are you doing? I'm like, really? How long are you going to do that? Uh, you know, aren't you going to ask your CFO before you, you blow a million dollars? Are you just going to blow it and then tell them you, you got to figure out how to get the money? Mm-hmm. And, and you say, oh, yeah, I'm, I got a little ahead of myself. Yeah, maybe you should talk to your team. Maybe you should bring them in and and help help you make an informed decision. Why are you hiring all people that don't cover your strengths, right? You need to hire people smarter than you. Mm -hmm. Uh, That makes me uncomfortable. Then they feel like they're going to take over the business. That's what you want. (laughs) The only way you're not going to work the hardest is have people better than you in the business or surround yourself with everybody better than you in my business every single person in every role did the job better than I could have.
0: Sure.
1: Except the tiny little things that I did, which I was the spokesperson for the business and I could envision where the business could go, but I couldn't, I was totally wrong. hundred percent of the time about how long it would take. Mm-hmm. I thought every, everything takes two weeks, two weeks in my <laughs> mind. Right. And, and my brother was the COO and he would, he would, he, they knew that he would talk to me later and say, you know, this is like three months. Right why? Why is it three months? And, and he would knew he knew he just had to talk me, talk me off the ledge. And, and, and I explained it's like, well, there's the programming and there's this and development It's like, and you've got the other 50 things you want them to do. Do you want that? What do you not want them to do? Oh, I, they got to do it all. Oh, okay, good. So this is going to take three months. Okay, fine. But it, you got to be able to take it. Mm-hmm. It's you, you, e- ego is a sign of insecurity boldness doesn't have any ego in it. Boldness is there's full of humility because you know, you could be better. You know how much more is possible, but you you're confident enough to know that you're, you're bringing the best you have right now. The full you is coming out and you're just trying to make it better. And you're trying to make it better by making mistakes, by blundering, by failing, by, and mining it for information.
0: A lot of things stand out of, to me about you and your career and all the things that you've done. You've got really just a a super, super awesome profile and bio. But one of the things that jump out at me is that you, the longevity of 1-800-DENTIST and how long you stayed in that business to build it and then exit and all of that. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? It's a question I get from a lot of entrepreneurs. Many, many of them or especially the younger ones, you know, they kind of already are exiting the business before they even build it because they're they want to go out and get money and go in 5 years I'm going to exit. But the truth is, it takes it takes decades to build a great company.
1: Yeah, and where are you going to invest the money? Most of the time the best investment is the business you built. I mean, we reached a point where we were paying ourselves so well mm-hmm. that there was no way that we could have sold the business and yielded mm-hmm. that much money. Mm. And it was fun. It was, we, we, my partner and I started the business with, with three principles. And, you know, before people talked about core values, number one, we wanted a great place to go to work every day. That was paramount. And we were going to create that by every action that we took and how we, how we treated people. Number two was everybody has to win. The customer has to win. The employee has to win. And we have to be winning because we're profitable. Or, or we're not doing it. And he comes up with a new idea. It's like, ah, this is the customer doesn't come out ahead that much, but it's really profitable. Sorry, we're not doing it. We already had those jobs. You know, he and I have both had jobs where, you know, I had a sales job where the customer absolutely lost. And it was a whole deceptive thing that looked like they were winning. And as soon yeah. as I decoded it and said, wow, they're really getting screwed here. I couldn't sell. I was all done. And he was a stockbroker and he said, I'm tired of losing money for people. And so, and so third was make money, grow and make money. But it was always third. And what happens to a lot of people in business is the money moves up. It ticks up as a priority till it's all about how much money we can make. And they tell them this bullshit story of like, oh, it's about shareholder value, which means dividends or profits being dispersed. no it's about having a satisfying customers giving good results to customers and giving people a great place to work that's what matters to me and that's and that's where the longevity comes from you don't want to sell that business i mean you may have another great idea start that business with your team or don't stay in your lane and realize there's this adage that says more entrepreneurs choke on too much opportunity rather than not enough Mm. because it's because we love an idea and we think we can do everything we can't do everything at once (laughs) is you know you you can't ride one horse you know three horses with one ass is what they say it's like you gotta (laughs) you, you gotta you gotta stay and and we did it we tried all different things and all it did was dissipate focus and energy and money. And then eventually you went, you know what, let's stick to dentistry. And it, and once we did that, it it just raced along for, for 30 years, we sold it after 30 years. My last month at work, we celebrated three 25 year employees because we would celebrate the anniversaries every month, Wow, three people in that month, at the same time, who had reached 25 years? We probably had 15 or 20 that had done that. But it, I, that was one of the proudest moments in the business for me. Was because these people had spent their pretty much their entire adult life working for the business, helping me to be successful, and and treasuring that. I had one employee tell me. He said, "My my girlfriend." She would always on Sunday, Sunday was always a bad day for her because she had to go to work on Monday. She says he said it would ruin Sunday for her that she had to go to work on Monday. Mm -hmm. And he said, and I couldn't sympathize with her at all because and I didn't want to tell her, he (laughs) says, because I couldn't wait to get to work because all my friends were there and I was having fun doing what I was doing. And so that was that was the core and substance of that business was creating that environment and we generated we we started that business with thirty thousand dollars and over 30 years we generated in aggregate a billion dollars of revenue
0: wow so it's incredible
1: yeah uh, and it was we did way more than we ever imagined but it, but it, but it was mostly that we got in a position where we had to keep at it we had to just keep showing up and figuring stuff out and we went through you know, Three recessions and and two thousand eight, the internet crash, and all, of, all all different phases, and we had to find our way through it. I mean, you know, we had we had nine eleven happen when yeah. everything stopped, and it, it, you know there were all of these stages where we had to to figure out how to do stuff, mm-hmm. um, how to how how to because we had to invent every aspect of the business, and what we didn't know how to do early on was bring in real coaches, you know, have mentors. We didn't know how to tap into that. And that's, you know, the earlier you learn that the, the better. Uh, mm-hmm. I always thought Tony Robbins was full of it. And I thought, what, what, this, what a blowhard, you know? And, and then like 15 years later, I started to hear some of the stuff he was saying, I like, wow, I learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I wish he, I wish he had told me that 15 years ago. Well, he would have, if I just listened to him,
0: when, when you reflect, um, Fred, when you reflect real quick, because I think you you're, what you're talking about right now, I think is a great moment for you to talk about the employees because you're talking about the ones who were there for 25 years and how you guys cultivated a, a culture and you had the right values and all of that. I hear every day from clients, from friends, people who own businesses, you, you know, you're hearing it in the media, the great resignation, and it's tough to find new employees, keep current ones. Talk to us about one or two things that you feel when you reflect back in those 30 plus years, what are the like one, two things that you and your partner and the management team did to keep the employees happy?
1: To me, a, a, along with, uh, the, the, it's, it's a layer of core values and behaviors and you, and you had to yeah we had to live the core values they couldn't be and they, we, we had 10 core values that we that we lived by that we developed as a team we brought them all in and said who do we want to be who do we not want to be what what do we want to do and what do we never want to do for money and we broke them down and I, I eventually articulated them into you know key phrases but th- they, that became the code that we lived by. But there were two things that they knew is that you couldn't yell at anybody. Your boss couldn't yell at you. There was no such thing as chewing somebody out or dressing somebody down. That, that got you fired as a VP uh, or it got you, you dressed down in, in an ungentle way by me. And they knew that. And so it just never happened. Because it never happened for me. I mean, I, I, my first, my first boss was a a, a psycho. You know, he was yelling. And I, I, I've never heard at fourteen. I had never heard such profanity in my entire life. But and I, I was like, I, I never want to be that. I'm not going to yell at anybody, and nobody's going to yell at anybody. And the other thing that they knew is Gary and I had a philosophy is that the customer isn't always right, and we will defend. The employee, if the employee is right or the, you know, and we, they could not abuse one of our employees. So if, 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 if a dentist called up and he started screaming and yelling and, and calling my customer service people names, I would say he's off, he's off the service and he would call up later and apologize. Can I talk to Fred? I just want to apologize. I said, apology accepted. You're still off. And when they knew that I would defend them, they would go to the wall for me because that's, they, they said, oh, I don't have to kneel down. I don't have to take this as an employee. And I said, and, and eventually they wouldn't let me talk to the doctor. I would say like, give me him. I'm calling him myself. Right, and they say no, no, no. We'll have, we'll handle it. Right, the VP would say, oh, I got it, I got it. I know he's off the program, but you don't. You're not making the phone call because it's like I'll add if I, and if I ever see you again, buddy. You know, because you don't get to talk to my people that way.
0: And it's loyalty and, both ways, right? I mean, yeah. you're you're leading by example, really. Yeah,
1: yeah. They knew that I was as loyal to them as as I expected them to be to me in the business. So we made it a great place to work. We took care of them money wasn't paramount and we, we helped them to get better. We were constantly offering the opportunity to grow. And actually, you know, we had a a, a huge call center and in my idea it was huge. It's like 120 people or something, but there was a, a career track in the place. You could work your way up to sales or customer service or some other department. We always put the jobs out to the call center first, mm-hmm. as as we were whenever we were looking to hire. And so we, uh, if you went around the office, there were two floors, the call center was upstairs and the and the, the operations and sales and everything were downstairs. And downstairs on the office doors, there'd be stickers on the door that would say, I started as an operator. So people knew they would say, isn't she vice president <laughs> of customer service? Yeah, yeah, she is. And so that was that was it's those little things that are very powerful because they are you walking your talk which was one of our core values walk your talk and those kind of things build loyalty and it's much easier to to grow an employee than to replace an employee now sometimes you have we had three rules you know with any employee you know you had to, if they were not succeeding, you retrain them. If that wasn't the solution, then you repurpose them. Sometimes they were, they were really great talking to the customers, but they couldn't close with a gun to their head Mm -hmm. and they were in sales. So we'd move them to customer service. They'd stay there 15 years, killing it, doing the job great every day. So you repurpose them or you replace them. And some people can't be saved or they just don't belong there. Right, They don't have, they don't have, they're not a cultural fit, which means you're out or they don't, they're, they like being last and, uh, you know, in performance. And you just say, that's, that's not fair to everybody else who's working hard here. So they know that, you know, we don't keep any, you don't just get to keep your job because you're nice or likable or anything like that. You got to perform because other people are busting ass. So if if you're very comfortable, not busting ass go do that somewhere else. Go work at the motor vehicle registry or something. You know, we, we got people who are, we want the business to, to succeed so that we all have bonuses and Christmas and, you know, summer parties and stuff like that. And, uh, and we're here a really long time. Cause we don't
0: want to work anywhere else. Absolutely. Well, you, you've helped us understand a lot about being bold. Obviously there's much more in the book. You have a system that shows, people how to do it in 90 days, which is pretty amazing. And then of course you've shared a lot about, you know, managing people and the business and things like that. Anything you want to leave us with today, Fred, the most powerful
1: mindset you can have as a bold person. And this is what, as a, as a dad, you want to teach your, your children. And as, as a, as a person moving through the world is that wherever you are, you tell yourself, I belong here. I am worthy of being here. I am worthy to talk to that person. I am worthy to meet that person. I am worthy to do this job or ask for a promotion. I, I, I'm, I'm worthy to raise, you know, to be invested in whatever it is. But that mindset, that behavior draws people to you. When you radiate your confidence that wherever you are, and you may you may be the only person not in the tuxedo or whatever, and you and it doesn't bother you because you're just acting like you belong. And everybody goes, well, "Where's your tuxedo?" It's like, didn't get the memo?
0: I can I tell you a story about that? It's interesting. <laughs> I was in college, twenty years old. I applied to work as a stockbroker trainee at uh, a subsidiary of American Express in Orlando. And I was two, you know, 20 years old. So I go with a, a, a dress shirt and a, a tie, but not a coat. And I get in there and it's one of those interviews where there were seven managers and then seven candidates. I had never been to an interview like that. And I walk in, everyone is like twice my age, wearing suits. Everybody's got a suit. I've got the dress shirt on. And the one 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 of the interviewers or managers picked the bone with me in presence of everyone, you know, and says, what are you doing here without a suit? Like, and I, and I thought to myself, you know what? it doesn't even matter. Like, I don't care about the age. I don't even at that early age, I was already what you call bold. To me, it was just confidence to just say, hey, man, I belong here. I'm going to do this. I actually interviewed. They didn't hire me, which was fine. I probably didn't belong there anyways, or they didn't belong with me, I should say. But yeah. uh, it was a great experience. And, and the more situations I went through life like that, Fred, it just didn't bother me. Like if you if, if you don't want to be around me because I'm not wearing the right, you know, suit,
1: too bad. Yeah, thanks for letting me know ahead of time. <laughs> that, that that I don't need to be judged that way. I'm not even looking to be
0: in that club. So. That's right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. It was really amazing. We're going to put all your information in the show notes, your book that's on Amazon. You have two other books as well. You have the podcast which I mean, you've got a lot going on, Fred. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here with us.
1: Thank you, Alex. It was great to be here.